You're listening to the Pull Us Podcast with Chris Poirier and Hector Mirai, a bi-weekly show about how comics, pop culture, and faith affect culture at large. This is part of the Love Thy Nerd Podcast Network. comic book fans of all ages and welcome to episode 10 of the polis podcast with me once again is the now as seen on dc universe's the swamp thing my co our amazing co-host hector say hello hector he's laughing because he didn't know that was coming i didn't know that was coming and i, I haven't seen it yet either so here's here's hoping that stays reality hi everybody and that's actually a thing dc universe's the swamp thing hector but today we have a show absolutely like no other as we welcome our very first comic creator to the interview seat. Today, we are going to hear from the one and only Kevin Eastman of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle fame. Absolutely amazing. We just wrapped it up before we recorded the intro. So there's going to be time travel and time inversions, multiverses and everything in this episode. So hold on. I've got your my seat. warm, buzzy, nerdy feelings going on right now. Right. So if we sound really jazzed up, it's because we did the cool part first, but that's not going to change how awesome this episode is. So buckle up, kids. It's time to talk comics. And as many of you know, we're not alone on this epic journey of podcasts and fandom. We're actually part of the Love Thy Nerd podcast network, along with two other amazing podcasts. Humans of Gaming with Drew and Chris does interviews with game designers, producers, and creators, gets to the heart of why they do what they do. And then we have Bubba, Matt, and Kate. They bring us the Free Play podcast that covers just about everything nerdy you can possibly imagine. It's super fun. There's lots of Red Dead Redemption 2 jokes. Poor Horpins. We're going to miss him greatly. I'm sorry, Matt. We'll say a prayer later. All your stupid horses can die. Right, all of them. And don't get (laughs) attached. But no joke, it's funny. It's full of so much beard you can... Your ears won't be able to handle the amount of beard that is present over there, except for Kate. He's saying beard with a D. Beard with a D, not bread or Um, beer. Or beer, just for the clarification. Um, Yeah, the beer bros. (laughs) I don't think that's us, but I mean... Okay, there's there's something that could be done there. But you can check us all out at lovethynerd.com and find other awesome content there as well. So I think that covers all of the wonderful network stuff for us today. Let's get on to talking about some comics. So as a lot of you know, the comic book industry is chock full of news on a day-to-day basis. Interesting things happen, very uninteresting things happen week in and week out. And our goal is to try to keep each and every one of you plugged into the pulse as best as two comic book nerds possibly can. So Hector, let's see if we can give some people some of the news for this week. All right, go. So first of all, right off the top, second coming from DC Vertigo Comics is now officially canceled at DC Vertigo. We talked about this, uh, I guess it was two episodes ago now. Yep. And we had a discussion about what it should or what we should look at as a response as Christians to this particular comic. And we don't know exactly why it was canceled. There was a massive, um, there was some protest from folks. And I think. Well, DC is not saying. We don't know for yeah, sure whether that had an influence or not. I've never seen a, a protest or petition be that Actually functional lead. that fast. Yeah. So there's some folks that are declaring victory in the petition, but it seems like DC, for better or worse, has had a lot on their plate in terms of controversy. So I'm not surprised to see them step away because actually the other thing I have that kind of connects to this for news this week is that Batman Damn number three 
was canceled, but will be resolicited. So it's pushing out to May now, but of course that means it could get actually canceled, but it's hard to say at this time. And of course, Batman Dam number one had a lot of controversy around it that despite it, both both that issue, Batman Dam and Second Coming, coming from other parts of DC Comics that were explicitly mature labeled, apparently was still a little much for DC to handle in the public sphere. And- you can't start out swinging with Batman's oh battering oh. and expect things to go well. Well, apparently it didn't. What we did get in the middle of that conversation was what Hector and I had felt was probably true in Batman Dam that they did confirm that certain pages of that were re-illustrated before issue. So that means that changes have been made and apparently issue three required much more work that led to this delay and or cancellation. So we shall see. Um, Sticking with DC news still, it's kind of strange, but DC... They're really good at getting information out, so it's going to feel unfair that DC's getting a lot of, of news yeah, this week. Marvel doesn't talk to us. or the that's, that's, that's a conversation All they do is itself. cancel Netflix shows and watch us cry. Uh, I guess we should talk about that now then, and I'll get back to my last piece of DC news. Is For folks that have been tracking slowly all the different Marvel shows, not the movies, the shows for the time being, but I figure the movies will fall off in the future as well. But Netflix officially canceled Jessica Jones and the Punisher. They will air episode three. I'm sorry, season three of Jessica Jones. Which, by um, the way, if one of those two shows needs a season <laughs> three, it's not Jessica Jones. And yet here we are. <laughs> here we but, are. Um, so there's been a lot of discussion on the wires about what 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 is this about? And I know personally for me, just reading the tea leaves, such as it were, is Marvel and Disney still have their own streaming service coming. Um, Now, with contracts and everything, that doesn't mean you're going to get your favorite characters back. In fact, by what most people are saying about the contracts, you most likely are not. But with them coming with their own service, similar to DC's universe, um, probably some point this year, it looks like Marvel and Disney are cleaning up their content from other streaming services, except for Hulu for some reason. They well, and clearly... Hulu also has made some statements that they might pick up the Netflix right. cards. So I think it's we're going to have to see what happens with the new streaming service that should be coming out. Um, because DC kind of did the same thing in preparation as they started kind of pulling their content back. Um that's at least what it says to me. But yeah, with the Hulu discussion being interjected recently, it's really hard to say for sure. But either way, um, no Punisher season three, at least with Netflix by the looks of it. And that's, that's now the sad world that we now live in. Um, you had DC news. Cause I have a little DC discussion. Yeah. I I'm curious. Yeah. So the last bit is we also talked about this either in the last episode or the episode before about DC canceling um, Omnibuy, uh, the collected ultimate editions. The abs- I'm sorry, there's are absolute editions. Um, five more hit the cancellation racks um, this week, which has honestly left a lot of retailers and circles and fans going, what, what are you doing? Because I'm not sure if any Omnibus or absolute edition has actually made it to print. And... They've pro- all of these have been canceled usually a month out. So 
like at FOC or final order cutoff, re- retailers a few weeks in advance have a chance to adjust their orders of inbound stuff. So we're like, yeah, we want those things because our customers like collectible edition hardcover things and they're disappearing either just before FOC or after. And they're so it's it's strange and there doesn't seem to be much of a reason. Um, I'd love for someone in DC or near DC to give us an idea of why, because they seem to be mainline characters. It's not like, Oh, we're running a random catch up book of someone that literally no one has ever heard of. They're all mainline characters. It's just strange. It is. And mine, my DC comment was also, it actually tailors right into that. Um, Four days ago for us, um, which is, you know, somewhere in the middle of February, there was a, tweet from Tom King where he put out an image that if all of his Batman run, which would be an absolute edition and oh gosh, it'd be more than an absolute edition. Um, but it's a, cause he's planning a hundred issues. He put out an image of what he wants the cover to be. If all of his work is ever put together for Batman. Ooh. Um, but he, here, here's his tweet. He says this, the whole run is in here there. If I ever finish this thing and it's all put together somehow, I hope this is the cover. And um, which sparked a nice little Twitter tirade from his readers of what is with all the ifs in that statement of if you they're like, if you get to finish this and, you know, and they really started prodding the question of like, is this extending more than just collected works? And like, so there's already some, uh, online rumor mill action going around that it's not even going to be finished. I don't really believe that, but it it's blown up just because he left a lot of open-ended stuff with that tweet. Ooh. And he's really good at poking the internet Twitter bear as oh. hard as he possibly can. And it's usually by doing things like that. Tom King is not an unintelligent man. He's a pretty bright dude. Um, and I mean, his writing shows that, but you know, he, he used to work for the CIA. He's, <laughs> I mean, we've talked about that before and it's like, you could take your pick on, you know, government wonk, whatever, but the guy kind of, he can put a sentence together, right? Yes. Um, and just hearing that I have flashbacks to time I spent in government. It's yeah. That word if is there on purpose. If that word, if is there, that's saying, Hey, uh, all of Batman is getting canceled and you never get a hardback again. Oh God. Um, I'd say you heard it here first, but I but don't want you to have heard it here first. You don't need to have ever heard that. That's not a thing. Please that didn't happen. happen. Please don't happen. Oh, um, please don't happen. Um, Yeah. So, but still it's a little weird because a lot of their solicitations have obviously been called into question and uh, a lot of things have been thrown into delays in the last couple weeks. And that's generally not a good look, but some of them also are on bigger team books where folks just need more time. And that just happens. Like we were talking about doomsday clock um, heroes in crisis that the schedules kind of get pushed around, but I think kind of wrapping up the news and giving one more point to DC because I saw this recently that we know for a fact based on solicitations that in Heroes in Crisis, a DC hero is going to be pinned with the murders at Sanctuary. So that's interesting, but who knows? Again, the rumor mill is really good at pushing us around. Um, 
and that doomsday clock, I think they said 11 just before 12 is literally going to potentially explain the rebirth event. And it's not going to be something we saw coming dot, dot, dot. Um, yeah, that, that what we thought we figured doomsday clock had a direct implication, but they're saying straight up, they're like, no rebirth happened because of what we're going to show you, which is fascinating seeing as it felt very much like a flashpoint continuation, which means there's a lot more to this story. And now I'm super excited. And that's not just being a Watchmen fan. That's like a DC thing at this point. Cause wow. So that my friends is the news. There's a lot of news. Yeah. And like we said, sometimes Marvel stuff pops up. Sometimes it doesn't. Their PR is a little different. Um, But we're always going to try to bring you what we see in front of us and what we think is valuable to discuss. And so if you found any of these things interesting or not interesting at all, or we totally missed something, make sure you comment on this when it gets posted or join us in the Love Thy Nerd Facebook community, which we'll talk a little bit at the bottom of the show. But for now, Hector... I think it's really important that we talk a little bit about what have we been pulling this particular week. <sighs> okay. So for me, uh, the current arc of Red Hood was something I just finished. And there's a panel in the most current issue of Red Hood where uh, the villain called Solitary, which is uh, someone that they had some character implications for, and pretty solid. There's this phrase. I don't mind saying Red Hood. I'm very disappointed. That's a line in the comic book. And it's very true. <laughs> Go this, on. This run uh, of Red Hood is the first run in a long time that I've felt unhappy uh, reading a Red Hood comic book. I really want there to be a shift in direction soon. I'm really waiting for this whole Nightwing and Red Hood thing to happen that I want to be a reality. Um, that's not. Um, but so I pulled that um, for the simple fact I want a good Red Hood story, but they're moving on. So it's it's a good shift with that. Um, I picked up uh, Batman Who Laughs number three, which obviously they'll, there was some solid stuff in that. Um, and I'll, what I'll stood you... out, what stood out from that book? Cause that book was on my list as well. So what, what we're getting more grim night, obviously, and the story's kind of plodding along, but what, what was it in Batman who last three that kind of jumped for you? Um, I know this is lame and it ties back to red hood. Um, and me saying this, but this is the first time you can see the visible scars on penguins head from, uh, red hood shooting him in the face Ooh, right and we've we've talked a few uh episodes ago about whether all of that stayed within continuity or not so yeah nice little tie back for me that's the one thing uh there's some pages in there where you see penguin and it definitely looks like he's got some scar on the side of his head um so that was the thing grim knight was you know i enjoyed it I my one thought is I would have expected him to be smarter or better. Um, the other thing with uh, Batman Who Laughs Three is there is a whole culture of Batman readers who have no flipping clue who James Gordon is, like the son. That was a little painful even for me. I had like I literally got through a few pages and went, "Wait, come on, brain, catch up, 
catch up. Like it took me a little while because to be very honest for those of you who aren't familiar, because you had to read a very specific, not long run of comics um, in the middle of a lot of convoluted DC stuff to find out that uh, commissioner Gordon has a uh, let's say twenties to 30 year old son, uh, depending on whatever age they plot him at, but he's got a young son who is one of the greatest serial killers and criminal minds in DC history, but in the same right. breath is also easily forgotten. So that's a thing. Um, it, was, but, it was a thing. And but that's the thing. Like, I honestly feel like they are um, slowing down the momentum of the story by focusing on him. Um, it did seem to be a massive tonal shift. And I think the only thing that helped me was the end of the book with the semi-spoiler, really, I can't say that word, but spoilers, um, that we've been going through literally since the end of issue one, all of issue two of Joker just barely holding on to life um, to suddenly being slightly more empowered. (laughs) Being more empowered and then like, yeah, the panel where he's actually upright, I'm like the the world is happening. Um, it's like everything just went sideways. Everything went sideways. Um, but that's the thing. It's a solid and a solid chunk in this story. Like I don't regret reading it, but like we said, there were some definite slow points. Um, also hit up uh, the new hit girl, the Kevin Smith hit girl, which, you know, the idea of hearing dialogue come out of hit girl's mouth from the fingers of Kevin Smith got me really excited um, but I apparently didn't read the information well enough before I picked up the issue because it's a silent issue. Um, <laughs> right. Um, the entire story of Hit Girl is told without words. Um, and the one thing that makes it so Kevin Smith is that it is the exact plot of Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. But with Hit Oh, Girl. my. Did you miss that? I complete until you just said that uh, I'm terrible. I'm tearing up my nerd card right now because as soon as you said it, I went, oh, my God. Like, yeah, the new hit girl storyline from Kevin Smith is Nailed it. a Kevin Smith story where if you're unfamiliar with the Jay and Silent Bob, uh, the viewers universe, as it's called, um, that someone was turning a comic book of Jay and Silent Bob into a movie. So Jay and Silent Bob go to Hollywood to stop the movie from happening. This hit girl comic is that hit girl finds out that her story is being turned into a major Hollywood movie. So she goes to Hollywood to stop it. I mean, literally it's the exact same movie. And that's really funny. The new Kevin Smith movie, the new Jay and Silent Bob reboot movie is Jay and Silent Bob going to Hollywood to stop the reboot from happening. I love everything about this and this <laughs> continues to solidify why I respect Kevin Smith on so many different levels. Go ahead. Fight. Me. Be, and that's just, but it's like, so here's the thing. If you want to read a Kevin Smith story with no words, it's still worth it. Um, like some of the artwork was fantastic and you can definitely see a lot of Kevin's direction. Yep, it was, panels. it was really good. But I meant if, like for me, if if you follow my Instagram or the Faith and Fandom page, the words of comic books are usually my favorite things over the art. And uh, <laughs> there weren't any, but I still loved it. Um, so that's a thing. Uh, 
for me though the big wow. the big hitter of the week uh was flash 64 um, yes the beginning goodness. of the price crossover uh that joshua williamson who's normally the flash writer is writing all four issues so two batman issues and two flash issues that yes but I, my goodness what a good issue um like I have to say it's one of the best Batman issues I've read in a while and it's in the flash. Um, but throwing back again, this is, you know, a couple of years later, this is almost a direct tie in to what we get from the first I am Gotham arc of Tom King's run on Batman. It ties into what we get at the end of the I am suicide arc. Um, it also ties into what we get after the not wedding of Batman and Selena. So there's a lot of stuff in there, but I also feel like, you know, we're heading into some more flashpoint stuff in the near future. But, uh, yeah, no, the, I think the one thing that I really liked about this issue is one thing that Williamson has done in his writing of the flash is Barry talks to himself a lot. And so depicting that can be difficult in comics, but Williamson and his art team has taken this idea of whenever you get a red box around something, that's Barry's inner monologue. And I straight up nerd giggled when I saw the first black box in this because he gave Batman his inner dialogue in a flashbook. And I think my favorite part of the back and forth of this particular issue was literally Batman talking to himself about that Barry Allen kid's really freaking smart. And Barry Allen being like, that Bruce Wayne dude is a heck of a detective. And then verbally, they're jabbing each other because that's what they do. Oh, and there was the one point in the book where uh, Flash says, elementary, my dear Watson. And Batman's like, wait, I'm the Watson? (laughs) And I was like, I straight up lolled um, at that. But like dialogue wise, there was, you know, moments where Flash was straight up berating Bruce on being a horrible parent and leader and it was some of the best you know calling out on the carpet so to speak of batman i've read in a long time where you know he's said well who you know he he basically can take any batman fanboys uh constant seal of approval and make it make you question your validity and your hero so that was pretty fantastic no, it was it. I, I'm excited for how this is going to wrap up and how it's going to progress the story that we're reading through Heroes in Crisis, but also just everything that across the DC universe seems to be clicking towards this. We're going to finally figure out what this is about. It sounds like this year. And that's that's exciting to me now, knowing that that's finally coming. That, that was my pull. Anything we deferred on right so we we definitely hit those things um i'm still reading gideon falls so gideon falls from jeff lemire um uh very much a horror book is in issue 11 and i have no really good way to explain this but um the concept of the overall book is you're introduced to someone that appears to be insane dealing with other voices in his head and actions he's seeing things so you're getting a lot of the story through him and his therapist but also this priest that's been literally dropped into this town because the previous priest just, you don't really fully understand what happened, but the archdiocese is like, this is where you're going. And he's like, cool. This sounds not great. Um, But he gets dropped into the middle of this real crazy um, 
longstanding what sounds like a wives tale of this black barn that whenever this black barn shows up bad things happen and lots of people die um and this story has been this investigation of the individual with the mental issues or supposedly we don't fully know is seeing pieces of it and is trying to seek out this black barn. And where we're at right now is him and the priest have actually found this barn and they've fallen through some type of dimensional change. We don't know what particular powers are at play, but it's been a really fun story so far that if you like kind of that horror slash semi murder mystery type thing, this book is a pretty awesome read because I don't think any of us really know where we're going to end up at the end of this story. And I think that's what Jeff's going for. So if you've been looking to scratch that itch, you need to go back and start at the beginning of Gideon Falls. There should be a trade out for the first half already. So you can read that and collect it and then catch up. It's worth the read if you're into it. Uh, I also have been reading a book called The Long Con from Oni Press. Um, which is literally a post-apocalyptic story uh, that all these people at a convention survived an incident. We don't know what the incident was, but they've all been in the middle of this quarantine zone. Like someone dropped a bomb on a convention and they all survived. And oh gosh. yeah, it's this, it's called the long con. Okay. Um, and it's really great because what's happened at the convention is all the different classes of people. So the A-list celebrities versus the guest slash artist alley people that paid for tables. Like there's a lot of con-isms. The thing people. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and they've classed themselves, you know, and there's like this mini Hunger Games going on in the middle, but like making it through the post-apocalyptic wasteland of the convention has to do with what level um, pass you have whether you're press. Oh, oh, it's so funny in the meta that it, that for those I'm, of us that's that have, happening. I'm yeah, that has spent a hot minute in the, con- in the convention world. This is, and they've tied sci-fi into it, which is probably the longest running thread about uh, fan fiction and actors who are way past their prime, but holding on to what once was. Th- they've hit a home run here. That's a meta game that, Probably some people are reading and going, I don't get why this is funny. But if you've experienced the convention life at all, and also the comic book industry, because they've got some things going on in there that it it's a great um, satirical look at things that um, I think a very particular audience is going to enjoy. And I guess I've forgotten to bring that up on this show because, yeah, Hector, you should be reading this book. Oh, absolutely. Uh, how many issues are out? <laughs> It's out to issue six, so a trade might be coming. There looks I'll like to... there is a uh, trade edition that just came out this week for the first five issues. There you go. That sounds perfect. Um, okay. It's worth it. Um, there's a couple folks in that book that are really fun, and I think Oni is really doing some fun stuff. I mean, they're the ones that own the Rick and Morty licenses and stuff like that, so they kind of do off the wall anyway, but this is fun. It's original content, and Ever since I got introduced to it a year ago, I was like, oh, this is going to be hilarious. And it's paid off so far. Okay. Um, other, otherwise, uh, I think the only other book worth mentioning out of my poll for this week is I did read Wonder Twins number one. Uh, and I didn't hate it. And I think it's fair for me to say that because I'm I'm not a lover of the the wonder thing that's going on because 
it kind of feels like the quest for more money that you yes. spun out a bunch of people from literally a book you just started. But you know what? From the nostalgia point of things, getting us getting the Wonder Twins back, it was a pretty it was a fair setup. It was, you know, literally the twins are going to they're living through high school and that kind of thing. And it felt like the Wonder Twins. It didn't feel like I was being having a concept jammed down my throat or anything that it was just I I'm looking forward to the second issue and hoping it kind of holds on to this kind of jovial approach to this because that's what the Wonder Twins has always been to me from the cartoons and Super Friends and and all that is it's kind of weird and interesting and fun about these shape-shifting aliens that kind of just get thrown at Earth. And it's one of the things they do in this book is they're like doing historical show and tell and he's like talking about the mating rituals on his home planet to this high school class and the teacher's like, what? <laughs> it's not graphic or anything. It's just really funny because he's very matter-of-facting basically this mating ritual thing. And everyone's like, that's weird. Because basically it's something about like when a thunderstorm happens, everybody just takes their clothes off. And then people are like, wait, what? <laughs> and then, of course, you know, kind of the defining moment of the book is they're at football practice and a thunderstorm starts. <laughs> right? So you're like, okay, the, like awkward high schoolness. Nailed it. Great. Perfect. So I, I think that rounds out my polls. But as we've told you, wonderful listeners... Um, we also wanted to hear what you're pulling and we've started asking that question in the love thy nerd community on Facebook and we had some folks give us some feedback. So we wanted to make good on what we said, cause we think it's fun to do so. And from the community, from love thy nerd community, uh, Adam Elliott, uh, brought to our attention, ghost spider number five and Hector and I have not been reading the latest iteration of it's, it's Gwen Stacy, uh, spider Gwen, um, that they've renamed ghost spider for marketing purposes and well reasons marvel stop it it's gwen don't mess with gwen um but adam really said that you know this should have been the issue one that the previous four issues had been kind of limited and one shoddy and kind of starting to introduce us to the newest iteration of of gwen but they also kind of weren't they were holding those issues kind of on to spider geddon and the movie showing up and everything but at issue five, apparently, if you're looking for that spot to jump on post into the Spider-Verse and everything, that this is the point where we're really getting character again, the relationship between her and other folks. And we just figure out who the Ghost Spider is in this new iteration. So thanks, Adam, for bringing that to our attention. And actually, I'm going to be honest, I'm probably going to pick this up next week because of that, because I felt like it was going to do that coming out of a bunch of spider geddon books um so i i want to see a good kind of not a reboot but a revisiting of where spider gwen has come from and where she's going so it's exciting to know that well there needs to be a solid starting point for people yeah. to be able to say okay get on here get in loser we're leaving i mean that's right get in get in losers we're gonna do some spider webs <laughs> bad street drug names <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. um so yeah Sp <laughs> ghost spider number five is is where adam tells us to jump in so uh he's pretty active in the community and tells us we should talk more about x-men along with matt and some of the others and we, we should but we'll get there um so yeah you can bring your polls to us 
we post usually every Wednesday on New Comic Book Day, the stuff that Hector and I are reading there in the community. You guys can jump on and do that as well. So that's going to do it for us this week on the Pull List Podcast. Don't forget to rate and review the show and definitely share with all of your nerdy friends, maybe some of your non-nerdy friends too. But be part of what we do. You can join us on the Love Thy Nerd Facebook community, which we've talked a lot about. It's where we get our polls from you all from and where you can continue to have the conversation with us. And literally all you have to do is go into the book of faces and type in Love Thy Nerd Community and we should pop right up. It's that easy. So who's ready for the main event? That's right. That brings us today's epic main topic and that our very first interview here on the Polis podcast. Okay, everyone, we're really excited to bring to your ears this comic creator interview. So as part of our goal in being a bi-weekly show about how comics, pop culture, and faith affect culture at large, Hector and I want to bring you creators who are in the industry doing amazing things and have honest chats with them about their work and who they are. So kicking us off this episode 10, I'm excited, is the one and only Kevin Eastman. Welcome, Kevin. To kick us off, how about you give us just a quick snapshot of who you are and what work you're best known for, because we do have some folks that are kind of checking out comics for the first time with us. And we'll hand it off to Hector for a few awesome questions. And we're just excited to have you. So welcome, Kevin. Uh, thanks, Chris. Thanks, Hector. So awesome to be here with you guys. This is really exciting. Happy uh, happy Monday, this holiday Monday. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, <laughs> um, for those of you that are listening that don't know, um, I grew up as a huge comic fan, huge comic fanatic, um, loved it, uh, um, became a passion slash obsession uh, in my young life um, to the point where uh, um, that's all I ever talked about wanting to do. And my parents were probably quite sure I'd be one of those kids that never moved out of the basement. Uh, <laughs> but um, I was lucky enough that um, I pursued my dreams. I was supported um, by my family and, and friends. And in uh, uh, the early, um, I guess probably 83, 283, I met a, an artist with similar interest um peter laird bonded over one of our uh iconic comic book heroes called jack kirby named jack kirby created mm. most of the marvel universe and it was uh jack's work um that inspired us to uh co-create the teenage mutant ninja turtles in 1983 the first sketches evolved um, one faithful night in november <laughs> of 1983 and um we fell in love with the project so much that we decided to self-publish it um you know whether it sold one copy or a hundred copies, we were bound and determined that we were going to fulfill our, our childhood dreams to be comic book um, storytellers. And so we did a little bit of early crowdfunding, borrowed some money from uh, an uncle and some family and raised enough money to print 3,000 copies back in uh, wow. May of 1984, which this May puts us at the official 35th anniversary of the Teenage Mutant. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, this little book, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, some of you may have heard of. So wonderful. So thank you, Kevin. You know, Hector, Hector, what do you got for us? Um, just hearing this and that how you began and how your start really kicked off with that. Um, obviously, you're not done. You're still a creator. You're still doing things that are affecting this climate and culture. Uh, when when your story is told at the end of all of this, what do you want your legacy to be? That's a you know that's a really good question because it really you know it's something that um, as you said just from the get go it's it's. Uh, you know, I'm 56 years old, so I feel like I'm I'm still just getting started um, in many, many ways. I've I, uh, been very incredibly blessed in my life in that, um, you know, uh, I know a lot of people work very hard and sometimes don't always accomplish their 
their dreams, but, um, you know, hopefully like me, they never let go because it's never too late, no matter how old you are. Um, I still learn, um, every day that I get to work that I get to draw and I do things, uh, um, I still learn something new and discover something new that I didn't know, or, um, you know, one of the other great awesome blessings, I guess, that I, I get to share and with my creation, um, Teenage Mutant Turtles. Peter's more or less retired, so I'm I'm still very active in the Turtles universe. As I get to meet a lot of uh, other creators and artists, um, so many uh, I call them kids because they're much younger than I am. Um, a lot of the artists I work with, for example, are half my age and uh, draw better than I do, <laughs> and they inspire me to continue to grow and evolve and and uh, learn. Wonderful. Um, and uh, I guess it's this experience of um, what I've I've watched grow and start and evolve and change into to how important it's been to my life and how much it has affected and inspired other people around the world. Um, you know, when you talk about legacy stuff, people, uh, when I go to comic conventions, and Courtney and I do, um, sorry, we met you guys in the first place, Courtney, and I, my wife and I do about um, 15 shows a year. When people start telling me, um, wow, you, you really inspired me to write and draw, to follow my dreams of figuring if you could do it, then we could do it, um, whether it's comics or anything else. Or, um, or you know, we've even heard at times, uh, you know, I was going through a pretty tough time in my life when I was younger and the Turtles and their struggles. And I understand they're fantasy-based characters, but they, you know, they really inspired me to pull through some stuff that was not as pleasant as it could have been. And those kinds of things, it really takes me aback because I don't feel like I've, I've earned that. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's it's a respect thing. I mean, I remember saying that to Jack Kirby when I first met him. I think he was, you know, um, sixty five, almost seventy when I first met him. And um, all those things I said to him that he really did inspire me to draw and, and really fight for my dreams. And when people say that to me, I, I it takes me a while to to process it because um, I don't. I, I feel unworthy. I know that sound may sound kind of silly, but it feels like you know, uh, I I don't deserve that. But I do actually flip it and, and embrace it and say back to them, well, you know, if I've inspired you in any way, um, I can't tell you what a huge compliment that is. But, you know, I know the inspirations that I had, whether someone like Jack Kirby or teachers um, that I had along the way that really uh, were there at the right time and helped guide me. It was so critical and so important um, things that when you feel kind of lost and abandoned out there and you don't know if you're going in the right direction or not, um, it's, it's um, pretty fantastic. So I guess um, if I had to come up with what a legacy thing might be, I guess tried to do the right thing. And, and I guess when, you know, this goes back to you know, when I was younger, I had an aunt that took us to church. We did it. It was basically a Christian based kind of non-denominational, just the message of love and, and love conquers all. I was taught at a very young age and sure. that's something I've embraced my whole life. We still go to church. Actually, the, our son just got back from um, his winter church camp um, just a few, a uh, few weeks ago. Um, but I guess, um, love will save the day and I think that's that's hopefully I share that with my fans and that's something that they a message that they get from me then I've I've more than done my job yeah that's that's definitely an awesome legacy to have um and I personally I feel like you've accomplished that greatly I mean I'm one of those kids that and I know I've met you at shows before as well of, um like I've had those stories like I was a latchkey kid that I literally feel like I was raised by Splinter and the Turtles so it's one of those you know, moments of you've affected so many people beyond just that, that initial 3000 printing, um, as a, as just a creator, as a, you know, in doing what you're doing as an artist, if the turtles are your most well-known 
professional creation. Are you okay with that? My goodness, yes. I mean, it really is. Um, you know, when you think, when I think of um, the turtles, really came from such a, a good place, a good-hearted place. In that, um, you know, a couple of kids, Peter and I, um, following a dream, and kind of wrote the story as we is the kind of story that we would like to read. You know, it was, so it was um, might it might be edgy as far as content goes, but it was not overly violent. It was not overly um, no, no. abusive or you know um, we didn't feel you know that to tell a good story um, you know you don't you know I, I look at it's one of my favorite movies and one of my favorite inspirations is like you know, Indiana Jones for example you don't need you know you know cursing and hyper violence and things like that to tell a good hearted adventure story where the hero you know um, overcomes such incredible odds to accomplish what uh, he or she he or she believes in that I felt like that that was a message that we wanted in all of our comics. Um, that's really um, the fact that we've been able to do that. Even, you know, and I look at like, um, well, just in New York City, we were um, promoting and talking about some of the new turtle toys coming out from a new version of the turtles called Rise of the Teenage Turtles, where it's a version of when they're they're much younger um, than you've seen them in other incantation. And what I said to the audience there and discussing, you know, I said, we've seen turtles evolve and change from the black and white comic books to the Archie comic books to the, the early cartoon shows to the things that one of the things that always is a constant is that um, love and heart and soul that Peter and I put into that initial story. That's the most important part. It's, you know, it's about family. And if you have, you know, four mutant characters, whether the turtles or not, <laughs> or, you know, it's their adoptive, they're, 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 they may bicker uh, like brothers will, but they always are there for each other. Um, you know, their their adoptive parent is is you know Splinter, and he's a rat, <laughs> um, but he teaches them you know right and wrong, and to have moral guides, or guidelines to stay true to in their life. But family is most important. Um, and I always point to when I do slideshows at conventions, I always show this one image from the end of uh, um, Turtles issue 11 that Peter and I did that out of that initial run back in the mid 80s where it's a picture of Casey, uh, April, Splinter, and all four turtles around this wood stove out in this farm location out in Maine. Uh, I'm sorry, in New Hampshire. Um, uh, the fact that you remember all of this is great. Go on. Right. Go, <laughs> please go on. I know. I just, you know, that's the thing. You wind me up. My wife, my wife always teases me because I, you know, I love, I, <laughs> I love going to conventions and I love talking to fans and I talk too much. Um, I really no, am passionate and excited about what I do. And, um, and so, uh, but I do, I, I adore opportunities to meet folks like you at shows and fans that, you know, really have given me the greatest job I could have ever imagined in my life drawing comics. But no, that's just to finish that one beat. Was, it actually was a farm in Massachusetts. It was, we moved the turtles from New York City up to uh, where we were living at the time in Massachusetts. This shot of them all around a wood stove. Um, and that was the message I felt that embodied all things turtles. It's all about family. Um, I know that as a creator, it's, I mean, you, you guys hadn't created this long before it really blew up into a worldwide thing. Um, I know it probably felt like, you know, eternity in the beginning, but you know, from, you know, 83 until the time that everything really took off. I mean, you were uh, an animated series and a major motion picture within a decade. So um, I know that you've had to let go of some things or, you know, and watch other people work with your creation. And not to not to ask to be negative or anything per se, but has there ever been a version of your characters that you just couldn't get down with or thought, Mm, that's that's not it no that's a it's a you know that's a great question and it is really you know um just going back to the first part of your your question was you know, to us it was insanely quick uh, the evolution because um 
and especially when I look to the initial, you know, when we put out the first issue, um, we never thought we'd sell, say, more than a, a couple hundred copies at most. And the fact that we sold out and did another printing and then people started calling and asking when we were going to do issue two, you know, that's why issue one was self-contained beginning, middle and end, because we never thought we'd have an opportunity to do issues. And when we created, wrote it and, and started, um, solicited it for sales, when we got the numbers back of the initial orders, it was enough copies. It was around 15,000 copies. And Peter and I did some quick, some quick math and figured out that, you know, <laughs> we can um, make enough money after we pay for all the costs of doing it to actually pay our rent and, you know, eat all the macaroni and cheese we want and draw comic books for a living. So this was January of 1985. And at that point, I would say even if it lasted for uh, six months or a year or two years, um, the dream had come true because... We didn't have to work lots of odd jobs and do lots of other things. We were now drawing comic books full time. So that's it, amazing. It really, it was it couldn't have gotten any better. And then then things got crazy. Um, <laughs> by 1987, we were doing role playing games and some limited licensing. And then we were uh, approached to do a cartoon show and a, and, a, and a movie. I mean, sorry, a cartoon show and toys, which, you know, that's that's three years, um, you know, which is very, very fast. And we were sort of scratching our head going like, what the heck's going on here? By 1988, um, literally four years after we created and self-published this first comic book, um, we had one of the highest rated shows um, on TV for kids' cartoons, not highest rated, you know, kids' highest rated, high rated show was kids' cartoons. All the other shows were just jealous. It's okay. And, yeah. And the toys were going crazy. Um, <laughs> so, um, what's that? I said the toys were great. Oh, um, thank you. No, I love that. I still, those first line of toys will still be the most precious, most awesome. Oh, um, same here. Same here. Yeah, it's okay, definitely the same here. And my wife is, it, I have to admit, my wife is actually more of a Turtle fan than I am, which blows my mind. I that love it. She's like, no, she's great. That's why I had to get her um, the first membership to uh, your fan club, um, which people should check out. We can do plugs here at the end. It's absolutely worth it. Um, but okay. she sought out all the hardheads from the first series of toys because she's like, no, the hardheads were the first one, so I have to have them. And... Don't At first that. it was, yeah, <laughs> and so then awful. she, and then she was like, "But they can't be on card because I'm definitely playing with them." Oh, oh, that's so awesome! Yeah. So, so but, um, but yeah, you know, just the you know that case in point, which is it brings us right back to your, your point, the different versions of the turtles. I mean, you know, when you think that um, you know the original black and white comic books had a little bit more edge to them, they were intended for an older audience, and when we started working on the cartoon shows and toys, we knew that was those were being um, designed and the stories were being tailored to fit a much younger audience. Um, so we, we changed a number of things, you know, softened up some of the origin the story uh, aspects. We added things like, and actually it was Pete's idea. Um, they asked us to try to come up with a way to tell them apart uh, more easily. And Pete came up with the, um, the different colored bandanas, which was awesome. And then, and so right away we had, you know, by 1988, we had two different versions of the turtles um two different worlds uh, i call the archie comics we did archie comics um adapted the animated episodes and some comics and then we still had the mirage um black and white comic book for the slightly older audience and then by the time we got to the 1990 turtles movie the first turtle movie that was really a blending of mirage black and white comics and the in the animated series into a version for all ages so we've done um you know, so the parents hopefully would enjoy it as much as the kids or find something. And then from that time on, there's always been you know, different versions of the turtles, but um, you know, we grew up um, and still in our, in our industries, I'm still as much of a fan as I've ever been. You know, uh, I like uh, Captain America and I like, you know, Daredevil and X-Men and some of those things. And there's different, there's usually 
often different art teams that work on them. Um, you know, uh, some particular storylines you like better than others, but it still, you know, embodies the character that um, you're passionate about or your character, one of your favorite characters. And with the Turtles, it's very much the same. Uh, all the different movies and cartoon shows and things that have been done since 1988, the first cartoon show came out. There's been different versions of them, but um, some I've liked more, some I've liked a little less, but none of them, you know, I didn't, I didn't hate any of them. They were just um, uh, done for different audiences with a slightly different take. Some I liked a little more, some I liked a little less, but I think all of them kept that heart and soul that I think were, you know, represent the characters anyway. And that's, that's where you can, that's the beginning, middle and end. For me. Awesome. Yeah. I think that's great to hear, to hear from you that so many have maintained that heart that, that can give a lot of us um, comfort in knowing that the heart of who your creation was intended to be has been maintained and sure some you like more than others, but that's, that's going to be natural in the course of life. Like you said, well, um, you know, you know, also you brought up too that, you know, I, I mean, I sold my interest in the turtles, um, you know, probably 15 plus years ago now. And what's so fantastic mm -hmm. is the, the kids and uh, that were originally were original fans of the turtles have grown up and, you know, the ones that are working in the industry now, whether it be the artists on the IDW comics or the, uh, people, uh, Ciro Neely and, and some of the guys that uh, designed and developed and are working on the uh, uh, Nickelodeon cartoons and, and those kind of things grew up as fans of the Turtles. And so even though we don't have, you know, neither Pete and I have final say or say control over the characters like we used to, they um, remember those original Turtles and out of respect, they make sure that it stays true to their their vision and their uh, what they fell in love with the Turtles in the first place. So that's that's pretty awesome. So they they, they do the work for me and I, and I get to stay here and create and write and draw. So <laughs> they do all the heavy work. <laughs> that sounds like a win. Yeah. Take that win every day. Well, we want to respect your time, but um, we definitely want to get a, this on the table of, we've talked a lot about where you've been um, and lots of turtles, which is awesome. But what are you working on right now that you're really excited about? Is there anything coming up that you uh, want to let folks know about that you're involved with? You know, just just what what gets you on fire and out of bed every morning right now? <laughs> That's a, a 12 year old child does that usually. Uh, but <laughs> I have, me and my wife, uh, Courtney and I have um, an awesome son, uh, Shane, who's 12. And, and uh, I was working in New York this weekend and she was up at a, a soccer team, went into the state finals, state cup. Um, Wow. In, uh, no, that's great. California. So she, he loves his sports and it's great. But uh, no, but this it's such a wonderful year this year in, in so many aspects. I mean, things like, um, you know, the official 35th anniversary of the Turtles, which is fantastic and mind blowing. That, yep. You know, it's still such an active thing. And, and, and so many people out there You've got so many incredible fans, um, not only our original fans and supporters, this, this whole new generation of younger fans, is incredibly cool and mind blowing. Um, I actually started, um, you know, to celebrate. 35th anniversary where the turtles were an original self-published project i'm going back to self-publishing starting in may with a, a book um called drawing blood um, it's not as harsh as it sounds it's basically <laughs> it's it's uh, it's about an artist that um got into the comic business um because he and his brother loved it and they created their characters and became successful and he kind of lost his way it's a little uh, semi-autobiographical and uh you know there was a time when um I wasn't drawing and, and, and I'd lost my way, um, drifted from my passion of you know, getting up and writing and drawing and created, creating things. And so drawing blood is about, you know, it, it's getting back to the table. Sometimes can feel like taking blood out of you to get back to where you need to be. Once you finally wake up and realize I need to get back and I embrace that creation. So it's uh, mm. called drawing blood. And 
uh, and so it's a um, it's an interesting tale of um, success and uh, uh, failure and uh, rebuilding from you know rock bottom back up to finding yourself and your and your heart and soul and going back to what was most important. Um, other fun things I'm doing. Uh, I just started work. I believe DC just DC Comics made the announcement. DC and IDW made the announcement on Friday uh, this past week that we're going back to do a third series for the Turtles, uh, the Batman Turtles crossover. Oh, um, awesome! Which was such a fantastic series. Um, working with James Tinian, who did such a fantastic job writing um, the two previous series. Uh, Freddie Williams is um, his biggest fan. He's such a fantastic artist. Uh, he's the main artist for the series. So um, I'm starting uh, one of the covers I have due today is the cover of issue one. And I'm actually going to be doing a little bit of uh, interior work on the series. Freddie wanted me to bring me some interesting aspects of that, but I can't give too much away. Sure. Um, yeah. Last week I had a, um, uh, I did a Marvel uh, called and asked if I would do a cover of Conan the Barbarian, um, which is a new series that they're launching, Savage Sword of Conan. And, Conan was one of those books that I, you know, I've, I've read, you know, a guy named um, Roy Thomas wrote and adapted Robert E. Howard's stories and Barry Smith drew them. It was very influential to me when I was younger as well. And the only comic I ever asked Stan Lee to sign was uh, that when I was a kid. It was beat to death. It was, um, but yeah, you know, there's um, that and we're working, you know, Tom Waltz and, and Bobby Kernow and I, the, the ser- head series writer and editor for the Turtles ongoing series. Mm-hmm. Um, we're on our road to issue 100. Uh, this year, uh, issue 100 will come out in um, November, uh, yep. and we still kind of scratch our heads with such grateful glee and, and enjoyment that we've been able to have the support of the fans that have allowed us to do literally 100 issues of this comic. And Tom Waltz has written every single one of them, and he's just, I'm, I could not say enough awesome things about Tom Waltz. He's his biggest fan, and uh, he's done such a great job. So, you know, with all these things... Um, you know, if fans want to check out where I'm going for shows, uh, we do our official convention kickoff is next weekend with Amazing Comic Con Hawaii. Uh, I think it's Amazing nice. Comic Con Aloha. I think it's the official term. Called. But we're doing 15 shows this year. So if you go to kevinestmanstudios.com, uh, there's the, the show schedule, appearance schedule. There's all kinds of goofy tchotchkes from classic toys to memorabilia and other things, original art and stuff that they sell. But if you want to find anything about what I'm doing, where I'm going, and what's going on with me, um, and we do the social media stuff, but if you want to go right to the source, go to the, go to the Kevin Eastman Studios website, and you'll find all that and more. There's all kinds of treasures and treats and surprises. Right yeah, there. and I, I can I can say from a personal experience, uh, having engaged in that community, that it, it's not just finding out where you're at and all the cool stuff that you have. It's also a community that the turtle community is a thing, and it's a very strong thing. Um, it's something that sucked me in since... Uh, March when we first met, um, just meeting other folks in that community that we talk a lot about fandom and what community means to folks that have fan fans of certain things and why we go to conventions. We just had that talk on our last uh, episode that the the community is great. No, I'm, and I, I'm so thrilled that you brought it up because, you know, you just, it, when you, as you're talking, I flashed immediately to, uh, you know, what's, I mentioned going to conventions. And I love doing them, meeting the fans of all ages. And, um, and, uh, and I, I just, <laughs> it flashed in my mind, like, you know, two or three people come up to the table as they, you know, they arrive at their point in line and they're chatting and they're having a great time together. And I'm like, oh, so you guys came to the show together. And they're like, no, we just met in line. And I'm like, <laughs> that just gives me goosebumps, you know, because it's like, you know, they've never met. Um, but they bonded over, you know, some crazy green mutated teenager thing, <laughs> and that's a that's 
easily one of the greatest gifts I could ever imagine. That's, that's a, the community that um, the Turtles has, uh, has created through that. You really brought up a great point. That's such a lovely. No, and that's that's what Hector and I are all about. And we could talk forever on that topic because that's, I mean, it's where Hector and I first met. Um, it's where yeah. I found out that faith could be interjected <laughs> into the comics community and it be a thing, like you said, of love and joy. Um Unfortunately, so many folks are used to the inverse of that, especially coming from the church, unfortunately, that we're just excited that there are folks like ourselves and you and other creators that, um, you know, we're not necessarily wearing our faith on our sleeve, but it is what drives our underpinning. And it's just what makes for better community and that we'd rather be that love than be the inverse of hate and, and other things that the joy of comics is truly what brings so many disparate people together for enjoyment. And I mean, that's why we're doing what we're doing here. So, um, no, that's awesome. Kevin, I know. Yeah. No, I could agree. You know, the first time I brought someone to, uh, who had never been to a comic convention, um, they just were, they walked around with such amazement and wonderment. Like, um, this is, you know, they just said, this is the happiest place on earth for so many people. They get Mm -hmm. to, you know, out in the, in the world where, Sometimes things can be a little harsh. People at your job, whether it be in a factory or Starbucks or who knows what, it doesn't matter. They might look down and kind of frown a little bit on some of the things that you like and um, use that opportunity to be unpleasant. And that is so unnecessary. I just feel like, you know, the church that I was brought up in and the the faith that, you know, it all is is all about love. And if you um, spread that love and that positivity and you embrace that and that's infectious. And I think that, you know, what you guys are doing with this kind of a podcast, with this kind of thing, it's just, it's, it's one and the same. It's just a wonderful place. And it's just positivity, happy, love, treat them like how you would like to be treated. And it's just a, you know, it just puts a smile on your face. And that's, you know, that's the easiest thing in the world to do is to make somebody smile. Um, it's not that hard. And the people that go out of the way to try to create the reverse effect of that is just very disheartening, but you have to keep it a stiff upper lip and, and <laughs> stay true to yourself and, and uh, keep spreading the, the positivity. That's, that's what's going to, change things no absolutely we we couldn't agree more that well we know you got a lot of covers to get to and sounds (laughs) like some other projects for the day so kevin hector and i both just want to thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to come and be our first live interview for uh this particular show uh hector and i have a few other things to talk about so we'll put the show together and folks will be seeing it really soon but Thanks for coming on and chatting with us today. Always a pleasure. Um, Kevin is you very much. is definitely one of my favorite folks um, from on the road. Um, him and Courtney are just great people. The turtle community is worth plugging into. You will meet a bunch of amazing folks. And even if you're not a turtle fan, if you get in that line, probably by the time you get to Kevin, you probably will be just by <laughs> talking to folks. And awesome. you also I've, should. I've stood in yeah. a lot of lines for a lot of creators <laughs> and even you know, before Oak City, you know, mm. I stood in Kevin's line, I think uh, maybe Heroes Con or something. And, you know, it was it was a great experience. Just, you know, literally the time I spent even in line to get to talk to you. So that was it was a good time. That is so awesome. I really do appreciate it. That means the world to me. And uh, Chris, uh, Hector, it's been my pleasure talking to you guys today. Um, it's been a, an honor to be your first live guest. And um, that's super. It's it's special to me as well. So uh, um, I appreciate it very much. You guys uh, carry on having a great uh, 
great rest of your day, great rest of your week. And uh, hopefully we'll see you out there in the convention circuit uh, this year. No, absolutely. Uh, that is more likely than true. You'll definitely see Hector this fall. Um, I'm going to try to make it back. We'll see with the new job. But otherwise, I'll be on the road this summer at other folk places. So hopefully I'll run into you and the gang. Awesome, guys. Thanks, each and every one of you, for joining us on this awesome episode number 10. We've hit double digits here at the pull list podcast. We've had our first interview. It was super awesome and amazing. Thanks Kevin Eastman once again for coming on. Definitely make sure you check out all of his stuff. We'll have those websites and some of his projects in the show notes for you to check out, but that's going to do it for us today. So remember kids read more comics. You've been listening to the pull list podcast with Chris Poirier and Hector Mirage part of the Love Thy Nerd Podcast Network. Be sure to rate and review the show and share on all the social media.